Please rise for the reading of God's word from Obadiah. We'll be reading verses 10 through 14. Hear now God's word. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. I want to be very careful here, because when difficult things are happening in our lives, there are a whole host of reasons why that might be the case. For example, John records this exchange, and his disciples, referring to Jesus' disciples, ask him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. We know that Job was a righteous man, and that he suffered much. James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Peter says, Now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, though tried by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews gives yet another possible answer or reason. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is just a sample of possible answers to that question of why me? Why is this, whatever this is, why is this happening? Jesus himself suffered, as do his followers. With all these possibilities in mind... All these caveats, we come to the Edomites, the descendants of Esau. With all these possibilities then, what had they done to deserve this judgment? They wanted to know, why are these things happening to us? And so in verse 5-9, through Yahweh has already announced His coming judgment upon Edom. Now, today, as we look at these verses, he's going to present his indictment, his list of charges against them. He's going to tell them exactly what it is they've done. 
And remember, sin is deceitful. So it's entirely possible for us to be in sin, and then when we get asked, you know, about it or confronted with it, we act surprised. And so in Malachi, for example, we see this kind of thing repeatedly in this short book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. God tells Israel that they have despised him, and here's how they reply. In what way have we despised your name? And he goes on to tell them that their offerings are not acceptable. And they reply again, for what reason? In Malachi 3.8, God says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, he says. And you remember he talks about you offered your blemished sacrifices on the altar. You took, instead of your best lamb, you took your worst lamb. He said, why don't you just give that to your governor when he comes around? Don't give that to me. So they act surprised. Even when the sin is obvious, we are still prone to act surprised when judgment comes. In verse 10 of Obadiah, we find a summary of Edom's sins and a reiteration of the coming judgment. That's where we begin today. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So verses 12 through 14 then get into the details of all that the Edomites thought, did, and said at the fall of Jerusalem. During this event, we see the Edomites go from bad to worse. Since the punishments are going to match the crimes, the results will be that. Be be this, Edom will be violated and robbed, verse 6, backing up a bit, because Edom herself has violated and robbed, verse 10. Edom will be attacked by allies and scattered, because Edom, that's verse 7, because Edom herself was attacked and scattered by others, verses 12 through 14. And so the golden rule is now going to be applied Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is what? The law and the prophets. And one of those prophets was obviously Obadiah, who's already talked about this. Jesus said, judge not, let you be not judged, for with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. These are universal truths. This is not something Jesus just introduced Jesus comes along and he certainly emphasizes this, but these were things taught in the Old Testament as well. Now, if God, let me ask you this, if God hated these particular sins in the 6th century B.C., does he still hate them in the 21st century? I, the Lord, change not. There is not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There's one God, same God. His ethics, his ethical standards do not change. He's un- those are unchangeable. We change. We try to say, well, we live in a, in a modern time or a different time. No, we're still God's creatures created in his image, still obligated to serve him on his terms. Now, verse 10 begins with, with the indictment. For violence against your brother Jacob. Now, violence is bad, but it is extra bad when it's against your brother. Why? Because we're called especially to love our brother. 
In our legal system, there are crimes and then there are also aggravating circumstances that go with those crimes. You could have robbery or you could have armed robbery. So you could have robbery and an aggravating circumstance of having had a weapon that you did it with. And the result is there's going to be an enhanced sentence that are going to be handed out because of those aggravations. You would have gotten three years, now you're going to get six years because of the aggravations. It's interesting to note that it's the personal name of Jacob that's used here. Notice that it's not Edom, it's not the Edomites, but the personal name of Jacob. Remember, we've got Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, and these now are their descendants, and this story is playing out in history. We see this story play all the way out even into our own day and into the future. And so, uh, it emphasizes the underlying nature of Esau's behavior. Another interesting thing is the Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. Yes, it is the same word we know for the Palestinian terror organization, Hamas. It has to do with violence that arises out of hatred. The next thing he says, God says to them, is shame shall cover you. Shame is the opposite of glory. God made us for glory. He made us to glorify Him. We're His images. And as we do glorious things, it's to bring Him glory. But the opposite of that is when we do shameful things. When we disobey God. When we don't glorify God, it brings shame to us. The opposite. And that's the case here. In verse 2, God had already said that the Edomites would be despised. And he says, as a result, you're going to be cut off forever. In other words, the Edomite story is going to end with them collapsing with no hope of recovery. Last week we pointed out in the sermon that there is at some point a point of no return. A point at which it's too late. We see that in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? As he cries out to Father Abraham, as he's suffering torment. He said, just dip your finger in some water and touch it to my tongue. And then what does he want? He said, please send send someone from the dead to warn my brothers not to come here. What does Abraham say to him? If they didn't believe the prophets... They won't believe someone who comes back from the dead. There is a point of no return, and Edom has reached that point. The day that is referred to in verse 11 refers to the time when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. These strangers and foreigners violated the city, and the Edomites not only didn't come to the aid of their brothers, not only stood by and watched their brothers being pillaged, we're told that they actually began to participate in the assault. And so let me pause and ask you, just to make kind of a personal application here, when you see a wrong being perpetrated against someone else, be it minor or large, do you speak up? Do you come to the aid of the one who's being attacked? Do you participate with the mob and do you join in the mockery? If so, then you are like Edom and God is taking notes. 
Instead of being brothers, they became enemies. And this is the very definition of wickedness. And so God will now break down the indictment with more specificity. First, in the day that you stood on the other side, as the Edomites stood there and watched their brothers being assaulted, they did so with a combination of indifference that soon became approval. In fact, indifference, when there should be concern and action, is a form of approval. When you don't speak up when you should, that's the same as giving approval. You remember in Acts 7 when Saul stood there and watched while Stephen was being stoned to death? And what did he do? He held everybody's coats. Here, let me hold your coats. How did did Paul come to see after his conversion, his participation? He could have said something like, all I was doing was holding the coats. I, I wasn't throwing the stones. Paul came to understand holding the coats, you're just as guilty as the folks throwing the stones. You're enabling. How about the priest and the Levites in the parable of a good Samaritan who just passed by on the other side? What what does that parable teach? When there's a need and you don't move to meet the need, especially of your brother, in this case the priest and the Levites, we're too busy. Unconcerned. Don't want to get involved. I just don't like to get involved. You are involved. You're involved on one side or the other. Jesus said, if you're for me, if you're not for me, you're against me. So you are involved. Always. All the time. Second, in the day that the strangers carried captives his forces, when foreigners entered his gates. So the Babylonians are invading. They've come inside the gates of Jerusalem. And And so what that means is the city has fallen. They were now defenseless. They were in need of help. They were outnumbered and overpowered. And Edom could have done something had they wanted to. But not only did they not want to, they saw an opportunity rather to exploit their brothers and to benefit themselves. What's in it for me? Oh, well, they're going down anyway. We may as well make a little money on the side. We may as well profit from this. And third, he says, and cast lots for Jerusalem. Interesting phrase. So now it was only a matter of dividing the spoils. You know, I've seen this, perhaps you have. My dad's a realtor, and, and uh, over the years, having dealt with, seen him deal with families, and somebody's died, and now we have the property left, the real estate, and there's estate sales and all kinds of things. But I've seen families uh, do this after an elderly person dies. The vultures swoop in for the stuff, and the relationships get destroyed further. And do you remember the scene? You do. At the crucifixion of our Lord. The soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, John 19, took his garments and made four parts, each to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, because that would devalue it, right? But let us cast lots for whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So Edom's doing the same thing with Jerusalem. 
In verse 11, God says to them, even you were as one of them. You were just like the Babylonians. There wasn't a dime's worth of difference. It is almost unbelievable. It is disgusting. Now in verse 12 through 14, Yahweh tells the Edomites what they already knew, but obviously had forgotten. You know, it's interesting as, we, as I as a pastor talk with people, maybe some of you from time to time, the temptation, this is true for parents, is to want to tell somebody what they did wrong. But I'd say 99% of the time, if I'll just ask the question of that person, what did you do wrong? They know. They already know. They knew it when they were doing it. They don't need me to tell them what they did wrong. And the same thing here, but God's going to tell them anyway. Eight things they should not have done. They knew better. Along the way, God sets the context as he refers to Judah's day of humiliation. And so, his captivity, his destruction... His distress, which is mentioned twice, and his calamity, which is mentioned three times. A city and all of the families in that city were torn apart. We often see sin or see a situation, and we might see one or two things that are impacted, but the reality is there are many things impacted. Here's what they should not have done. You should not have gazed on the day of your brother. You should not have rejoiced over the children of Judah who are going through this calamity. You should not have spoken proudly. You should not have entered the gate of my people. You should not have gazed on their affliction. You should not have laid hands on their substance. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. You should not have delivered up those among whom among them who remained. So we see a progression, if you will, or a digression, if you will, of internal attitude to external behavior. One commentator put it this way, sin proceeds by degrees. Neither is any man at his worst at first. First they looked at the church's calamity, then they laughed, and then they insulted and spoke big words, and then they plundered, and lastly... They butchered some and imprisoned others. And so let's briefly, very briefly, look at each of these eight sins. Again, we're to look at this. Why? Because the Word of God is given to us. We're to make sure we're not like Edomites. You should not have gazed on the day of your brother. The word gazed carries the idea of looking down on. We're to esteem others as more important than ourselves, according to the New Testament. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It was the way they were looking at their brothers who were facing a calamity. Their attitude was somewhere between indifference and pleasure. So they had no real sympathy for Judah's suffering. In fact, they exploited the situation by delighting in their suffering. You've never done that with a brother or sister, have you? While they're getting disciplined, you're kind of snickering under your breath or just happy to see it happening to them instead of you? You should not have rejoiced over the children of Judah. This was a malicious pleasure on the part of the Edomites. 
Proverbs 17.5 warns, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. And Psalm 137.7 addresses this situation directly. Remember, Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, or tear it down, cut it down to its very foundation. And in Lamentations chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, there is this, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. Be sure your sins will find you out. Number three, you should not have spoken proudly. In other words, don't be a big mouth. Don't talk big. Ezekiel 35, 12-15 speaks to this, Then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have heard all your blasphemies, which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are desolate, they are given to us to consume. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me, and multiplied your words against me. And these next words, God says, I have heard them. Thus says Yahweh, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you, you shall be desolate. O Mount Seir, which is Edom, as well as Mount Seir, the, mountain, the main mountain in Edom, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it, then they shall know that I am Yahweh, or we might add parenthetically, then they're going to know who's God, who's in charge. Calvin comments on this. He says, it is a feeling of nat- a feeling naturally implanted in us that when one is distressed, we're touched with pity. Even when we see our enemies lie prostrate on the ground or our hatred and anger are extinguished or at least are abated and all who see even their enemies ill-treated become, as it were, other men. That is, they put off the anger with which they were previously inflamed as then, this is, as then this is what is common among um, uh, almost to all men, it appears that the Edomites must have been doubly and trebly barbarous, excuse me, barbarous when they rejoiced at the calamity of their brethren and took pleasure in a spectacle so sad and mournful. Number four, you should not have entered the gate of my people. After having rejoiced over Judah's demise and having boasted, now they're going to turn to some action. They start to get involved and participate in the looting and the plundering of God's people. The gates of the city represent her security. The scripture, in Scripture, a city is often portrayed as a woman. As such, the forced entrance by hostile troops amounts to a type of rape violation. Yahweh, Psalm 87, 2 and 3, Yahweh loves the gates 
of Zion. More than all the dwellings of Jacob, glorious things of thee are spoken, the city of our God. It's appropriate for God to discipline his own children, as he was doing with Judah, but it was not the place of the Edomites to do so. They were assaulting God's daughter. Number five, you should not have gazed on their affliction. It's never permissible to stand by and watch injustice being perpetrated. If you are not active in stopping it, then you are approving it. And they were enjoying the misery of their brother. You know, it's interesting in in Matthew 18, many of you are familiar with that passage where it says, if your brother's sin, you go to him. And if he won't hear you, you take someone with you. But the the language in there isn't, we, we sometimes have this idea, you offended me and I'm coming to give you a piece of my mind and tell you off and tell you how bad you are and let you have it. How dare you do that to me? But that's not what the text says. In fact, it says, do not bring a railing accusation. The goal is to win your brother. Even in that situation where they've done, let's say they've stolen something from you. Your good name, perhaps, or your bicycle. You're not there to to give them a piece of your mind and to inflict some kind of a pain because they've given you pain. What are we to do? We're to turn the other cheek. We're to bless those who curse us and not return insult for insult, but a blessing instead. We go to our brother to win our brother because when there's sin between me and my brother, we're not in fellowship. Things are not good. We can't be in communion. So here, the idea here isn't to get even. The idea here is to bring about reconciliation and peace. That's not what Edom's doing here. Edom is just throwing gas on the fire. Number six, you should not have laid hands on their substance. They went from observers to being thieves. They were opportunists who, as they watched... They saw an opportunity to enrich themselves at the expense of their brothers, which, by the way, is the exact opposite of grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. When you give grace to someone, you're paying, you're paying for what they stole. That's not what's going on here. Edom is taking advantage of their brother and stealing and becoming thieves themselves. Piling on, if you will. Number seven, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped. You got the picture? Babylon's invaded Jerusalem. They've come in. People are trying to get away. Wow, they're they're being killed in some cases and assaulted. So they're fleeing. They're trying to get out. They're hiding. And those who are fleeing, Edom, remember they're at the crossroads where all these trade routes are. They're setting up blockades. We're not going to let them flee. We're not going to let them get away. We're going to help the Babylonians. We're going to put a stop to this. So this is an escalation of hostility. The Edomites have now become calloused and cruel. They prevented them from escaping into exile. And so they were rounding them up and handing them over to the Babylonians. And number eight, 
you should not have delivered up those among them who remain. So some were fleeing the city. Some were trying to escape. They were stopping them. Well, guess what? There were still some that were hiding within the city. Well, they were going door to door. We'll find them for you. Why? Do you think the Edomites wanted to curry a little favor with the Babylonians? Well, we want them on our side. They're the Babylonians. So we'll turn these people over and then they'll owe us. So they'll see that we're their friends. That's what people do. You, you want to appeal to the cool people, right? I want to be sure the cool people like us. We don't want to take the sides of these people over here. We want to be accepted by those who are in power. So these are those who remained in Jerusalem. The Edomites didn't want any survivors. They wanted total destruction. And as a result, God is going to ensure that the Edomites face total destruction. So I want to close this morning just with a little bit of application. We've had some as we've gone along here, but a bit more. How might it be said of you, from verse 11, even you were as one of them. Look at the company Peter keeps and the words he speaks at the fire in John 18, verses 18 and 25. We're going to compare that here in a moment with another passage. So you got that? Here's Peter. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Who's Peter with right now? It's just before the crucifixion, right? Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? What did he say? I don't know what you're talking about. Even you were as one of them. Contrast this with Peter's company and words at the fire in John 21, verses 7 through 9. And think through the question in terms of with whom do you stand warming yourself? Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Whose fire are you warming yourself around? Whose company do you find it comfortable to be with and among? The Edomites made their choice. And it was a fatal choice. Because God is not mocked. We are followers of Jesus. We've signed up to hang around His fire and His people. Sometimes His people are not as good as they could be, right? That'd be us. Sometimes we're hard. Sometimes we're cranky. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. But we're the people of God. And we're loyal to Christ. And we're loyal to one another, no matter what. These are the people of God.
That's where our loyalty lays. And if there's ever a question, if there's ever an issue, if there's ever something that comes up, I'm not with the Babylonians. And neither are you. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that there have been times when many of us have joined in with others to oppose your people, our brothers. We have mocked and laughed, provoked and injured others. And like Edom, we are proud and arrogant. We acknowledge that your word has made it clear that you will not endure such things. We acknowledge that these are some of the sins that Jesus bore in his body so that we would not face the judgment of Edom. We deserve what they received. Instead, we have received mercy by way of the sacrifice of Jesus. Help us now to see this clearly and to turn away forever from such attitude and behavior that would bring us to oppose our brother. Because by this, we'll all know that we are your disciples if we have love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Edom's sin, sins in these verses that we've looked at today can be summarized as showing indifference towards the suffering of God's people, feeling pleasure in the suffering of God's people, taking no action during the suffering of God's people, or contributing to the suffering of God's people. I want us to contrast that as we prepare to come to the Lord's table with the description of brotherly love that is found in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him. Sounds familiar to what we read earlier, right? Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Amen. All your ways of mercy.
tend us and tend to us and culminate in our delight. You did weep and sorrow and suffer that we might rejoice. For our joy, you have sent the Comforter, multiplied your promises, removed all our sins, shown us our future happiness, and given, given us a living fountain. You are preparing joy for us, and, and we pray for joy and wait for joy and long for that joy. Give us more than we can hold, desire, or think of. If we weep at night, give us joy in the morning. Let us rest in the thought of your love, the pardon for sin, our title to heaven, and our future sinless state. O Lord, continue to change our way of thinking. May your thoughts be our thoughts, and may we see the way you see, and may the world see us as your imitators. Fill us with joy today and cause us to rejoice in and for all things that we might be encouraged and strengthened to serve you with gladness. Bless now our feasting and our resting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Amen. Amen.